Today's Bible reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 53. So good old David will be reading about Isaiah 53. Uh, It's a prophecy made 700 years before Jesus lived, and it tells of what would happen to Jesus Christ on the cross. Uh, In it, we see what he had to go through in order to give us peace and forgiveness. Who has believed in our message, and whom has the arm of the Lord revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and a root out of dry ground. He has no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we, that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man, su- a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we, consi- yet we considered him by punishing by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The, punish- the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and his wounds were, were- we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave of the wicked, and the rich with, and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge of my righteous servant will justify many, and he will beat their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and will divide, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many, and made the inter, intercession for the transgressors. Well, let's turn to Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter five, and this is what we're looking at on Sunday mornings. Galatians five. And in particular, verses 22 and 23, which is the fruit of the Spirit. And we're asking the question, we're asking the question, what is a spiritual person? And we've said that the greatest portrait you can ever get of a spiritual person is in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. And it reads like this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Uh, am I speaking too loud or is it? No, I just, there's no reverberation here. Sorted. Thank you very much. Okay. These then are nine characteristics of a spiritual person. We can call them virtues, or we can call them graces, or they have been called jewels. And they all go together. So we are to look at them as a fruit of the Spirit and not fruits of the Spirit. And one person has said that these are nine separate facets of one shimmering diamond. And the person who has them shines bright like a diamond. So these nine wonderful things, they are the effect of the Holy Spirit of God working on our human spirit. They don't come about naturally. There's no technique that we can use to develop them. There's no scheme that we can use to grow them. And this nine fruit is not the product of human achievement or Christian accomplishment. It's way beyond us. This is a supernatural thing by the Spirit of God working in our spirit. And that's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's not called the fruit of human goodness or the fruit of moral living or the fruit of going to church or the fruit of being religious. It's the fruit of the Spirit. He produces this tasty spiritual fruit in us. So that's the verse that we're concentrating on. And, and we're also tying it in with another verse. So the other verse that we're tying it into is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And this verse helps us understand how the fruit of the Spirit is produced in our life. So we've seen this each week so far, but it's worth repeating again. That we who contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, what you see there is really the key to how the fruit of the Spirit is produced in our life. So the Lord's glory is mentioned there. That's the glory of Jesus, which is his holy, righteous character, which is the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit in Jesus. So as we contemplate the fruit of the Spirit in Jesus, His glory, as we do that, it transforms us into His image, the fruit of the Spirit. With increasing glory, it gets better. And that's not from ourselves, but from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the way that this fruit of the Spirit is produced in our life is when we contemplate Jesus Christ. When we look at him and meditate on, on him, when we follow him and he's our Lord and our Savior, when we fix our eyes on him and spend time meditating on him, then the Spirit works in our life to produce this glorious fruit. So, so far, we've considered love. And we've seen Jesus as the ultimate loving person. Last week, we considered the fruit of the Spirit, joy. And we consider Jesus as the ultimate joyful person. 
Well, this week then, the fruit of the Spirit is peace. So we consider Jesus as the ultimate peaceful person. Peace. It's a great word, isn't it? Peace. And you might think, there's not much of that in the suburbs. <laughs> and you might think, there's not much of that in my work, my family, or my own personal life. Peace. Well, let's encourage each other by saying this. God's whole plan and design is for us to have peace. God doesn't want us to be anxious, stressful, worried, sick people. He wants us to have peace. And right at the beginning of the world, when God created creation out of nothing, he did it all with the target of peace. So on the first day of creation, he created light. On the second day, he created the sky. On the third day, he created dry land, seas, plants, and trees. On the fourth day, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And on the fifth day, God created creatures in the sea and the creatures that fly across the sky. And that was five days of creation. God was working. On the sixth day of creation, the pinnacle of creation, animals that live on the land were created. And finally, human beings were created. Two genders, male and female, and both genders made in the image of God. And God placed both genders in the paradise of Eden, the garden of Eden. And that was day six, and it was all accomplished. Come day seven, God rested from all the work of creation that he'd been doing. And he made the seventh day, the Saturday, he made it a special holy day, what it was called the Sabbath day. And God rested from his creation, and he told Adam and Eve to take a day off. So gracious of God, he makes them on day six, then he says on day seven, take the day off. And that seventh day represents the fulfillment of all that God was doing to bring peace and rest to people. So the Sabbath was a day of peace. But what kind of peace did Adam and Eve enjoy on that seventh day? We often think of peace as the absence of things that cause us trouble. But for Adam and Eve, it wasn't necessarily that. For Adam and Eve, it wasn't a peace from war because there was no one else around and there were no nations to make war with each other. So God wasn't saying, all I am saying is give peace a chance. Nor was it a peace from argument or quarreling or controversy because Adam and Eve were sinless and perfect. There was nothing in them that they would demand their own way. They just had each other in mind all the time. So there was no quarreling or argument or fallouts between them. So this peace is not the absence of war nor the absence of argument and quarreling. Rather, it is a very positive peace. It's the presence of something beautiful. The Old Testament calls it shalom. It's the presence of things as they should be. Harmony, wholeness, completeness, well-being, 
and flourishing. That's what God gave to Adam and Eve on that Sabbath day, this perfect peace of well-being. And on that Sabbath day, God was saying to Adam and Eve, get on board the peace train. This is for you. And that positive, wonderful peace was seen in all their relationships. They had peace with God as he walked with them in the garden. They had peace with each other as they got on with each other and loved each other and were other person-centered. They had peace in their own hearts as well. They were all together in harmony and unity. Their inner being wasn't torn apart with worry. They had this inner peace. And they had a peace with, with creation, for the trees and the plants fed them, and they enjoyed unspoiled rivers and unpolluted skies. There was peace all over that garden in Eden, and Adam and Eve enjoyed peace with God, peace with each other, peace with themselves, and peace all around. Peace, perfect peace in that world of paradise. Doesn't quite seem like that today, though, does it? We talk about peace, and we think, well, there's not a lot of peace in this world. It's a messed up world. And that's exactly what it is. All that we've been talking about happened in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. When you get to Genesis chapter 3, the peace was torn apart. There was a rupture, a fracture, in each one of the relationships that brought them peace. Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God, they lost their peace with God. They lost their peace with each other, and the argument started. And they lost their peace with creation as well. Certainly, they lost their peace with themselves, inwardly. They began to fall apart, inwardly. They began to get worried and stressed. They heard the sound of the footsteps of the Lord God Walking in the garden, they thought, we've got to hide. There's nothing like that before. But when their peace was broken, everything about them was broken. God says, there's no peace for the wicked. And it's been that way ever since Genesis chapter 3. See, when you, when you look out at the world and at people, what do you mainly see? We mainly see that there's no peace or harmony or wholeness or completeness or flourishing or tranquility. We mainly see arguments and abuse and violence and fear and breakups and damage. We see broken people living in a broken world, stressful people living in a stressful world, and anxious people living in an anxious world. And yet you see people longing for peace. They're longing for safety and harmony and tranquility and flourishing. And people will turn to all kinds of different things, sometimes very dangerous things, to try and bring them that little bit of peace in their life. There's no peace for the wicked, but people long for peace. What we've got in the world today is a far cry from that first Sabbath in Eden. So what's happened to God's plan then? If God's plan of creation was to result in peace, and now all that peace is torn apart, what's happened to God's plan? Well, God's plan is still for peace. He's never changed his plan. He still wants us all to have peace. 
But in order for us to have peace, to give us peace, he's got to do something about that. So he has. He has sent the peacemaker. Jesus Christ, God's Son, is the peacemaker. And he sent him into this world as the ultimate person of peace to live with peace in his heart because he lived with peace with God and to create peace in those who follow him. We've got a few verses on the screen here to show us that Jesus is this ultimate person of peace. 700 years before he was born, there was a prophecy that said this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And for 700 years, people were waiting. This would be the Messiah. This would be the one that would bring us this peace. We need peace. It's only found in this one, Jesus Christ. He's the King of peace, the King of love, the Prince of peace. And people were just waiting for this one to come. And then at his birth, the angels announced, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The Prince of Peace had been born, and the angels sing from the heavenly hosts, peace on earth. And then throughout the whole life of Jesus, he preached peace. He preached peace to those who were near, the Jews, and to those through others far away, the Gentiles. His whole mission was a mission of peace. And after his resurrection, his first words, well, we see them on the screen, his first words to his disciples after his resurrection are these. The next slide. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Do you see, we've just gone through the whole life of Jesus. From the prophecies before he was born, the Prince of Peace. The day he was born, peace on earth. Throughout his ministry, I'm preaching peace, I'm bringing peace. And after his resurrection, his first words to the disciples, peace be with you. God's plan of bringing peace is still in place. He wants you and he wants us to have that peace. And so God has sent this ultimate man of peace, Jesus Christ. Now, our next verse is Psalm 120, verse 7. Again, this was written many, many years before Jesus was born. And it's almost the exact words that Jesus was thinking in his mind on his life, in his life on earth. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And that's what Jesus found. Everywhere he went, I am for peace. Peace to this house, peace to this place, peace to this nation, peace to these people. I'm for peace. I want to give you peace. But when I speak, somehow people just rebel against me and they want to kill me. I am for peace, 
but you're for war. You won't have peace. But if you come to me, you will have peace. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, you see this peace that passes understanding. You see a well-being about him. You see an inner togetherness on his heart, an inner harmony about his life. His, his mind and his heart were together at one. There, there's an inner serenity about him. And anyone who met Jesus would straight away know that he wasn't a man who was frantic or worried sick or screwed up or anything else. He was at peace with himself because he was at peace with God. I am for peace. That's Jesus. He's for peace. And you see it in the miracles he did and in the people that he met with. You see this amazing peace that he gave to people. There was once a lady who had seven demons living in her. Now you can only imagine the turmoil of that poor lady how frantic she was, how restless she was. Seven demons living in her. It actually turned her to prostitution with all the shame that that would bring her as well. And This lady, she lived at war with God, at war with herself, at war with the people in the town. She had no peace at all, but she heard about Jesus Christ. She came to Jesus Christ. She was repentant of her sin. She was longing for that peace. And Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And she walked out of that house that she'd walked into so anxious and stressed and frantic with a completely different inner life. She walked out having received the peace of Jesus. The demons had gone. There was another occasion when some men were caught in a terrific storm on the Lake of Galilee. The wind was blowing so strong, the waves were standing so high, the boat that these men were in was being swamped by the waves and driven by the wind. It was just so noisy on that lake and the men in that boat were terrified. They feared drowning. They were panicking. And Jesus, the man of peace, simply got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And it was completely calm. But Jesus Christ brings peace. Another occasion, there was a lady who had a condition that resulted in her being subject to bleeding for 12 long years. This limited everything about her life, her social contact in those days, her freedom of movement and her friendships as well. And she was desperately and secretly seeking healing. She went to endless physicians, but nobody could heal her or give her peace. She was restless. Her inner being was distraught. There was no peace. She came to Jesus Christ. She touched the hem of his garment. And immediately power went out of Jesus and into this woman. And she was healed. And Jesus looked at her and sent her on her way, healed. And he said this, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You see the peace that Jesus came to bring. You see that how if we contemplate him and meditate upon him, we see this person of peace and that transfers to us. Right on the very last night of his life on earth, Jesus was in an upper room with his disciples. 
The disciples knew that something terrible was going to happen, and the disciples' hearts were troubled, agitated, distressed, anxious, worried. And Jesus simply said to them, Peace, I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, because that will just give you a lot of argument and noise. My peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Jesus is for peace, and he brings peace. Well, that might seem a long time ago, 2,000 years, but you know, he can still do exactly the same today. His peace, remember, was not the absence of noise. His peace was not the absence of conflict. His peace was not an escape from the world. His peace was his presence in the midst of conflict. Sin may have absolutely destroyed your peace. Your own sins torn you apart. Or the sin of other people has so affected your life that you're totally messed up inside. You're in bits and pieces. Your world has fallen apart. Your heart is anxious. Your conscience is guilty. Your mind is messy. Your soul is restless. You're at war with yourself and with other people and with God as well. And you fear at any moment, because of all that, you're going to break down. You're falling apart. You have no peace. But the Holy Spirit can produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life, starting today, right now. As you come to Jesus Christ for salvation and make your peace with God, the Spirit then works in your life to produce this fruit it's glorious fruit of peace, of shalom. The Bible actually calls it a peace that passes all understanding. And just as we saw last week that the joy that we have through the Holy Spirit is a joy that's inexpressible, so the peace that we can have from God is a peace that can't understand. And by that, we don't mean that you can't, you can't tell about it because... Well, those that are Christians here and experience this inner peace in the midst of troubles and trials, they, they will say, and yet I've got a calmness about me. And yet I'm not worried sick about this. It might even be a terrible situation to do with your health or your family or your marriage, but you say, right in the midst of this, though I should be falling apart, yet I've got this peace. Uh, and it's a calmness. So it's not so much a peace that passes understanding that you can't tell about it, but it's a peace that passes understanding in which you don't understand why you've got it. <laughs> How can I have this peace in this kind of crazy situation? I, I know how I feel, but I can't explain that. I can't explain to you why I feel that way. It's a peace that passes understanding. And that is the peace that God gives to those who follow Jesus Christ who are at peace with God and meditate and contemplate Jesus. A wonderful peace. But do you know what Jesus Christ had to go through in order to give you that peace? Jesus had to lose his peace in order to give you peace. When he said to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, in his mind he was probably thinking, but oh my friends, I've got to lose my peace in order to give you my peace. 
He had to die on a cross in order to take the hostility of the world against God, the restlessness of sinners and our punishment. So on that cross, he entered into three hours of desperate darkness with the noise of Calvary, the screams of the prisoners and the catcalls of the crowd. And Calvary was a cacophony of noise and a tempest of hatred and a storm of devils and demons. And in taking our sin and punishment on himself, Jesus was forsaken by his Father. So he lost his peace with God, which then would actually make him lose his inner peace. Because there's no inner peace if we don't have peace with God. So his thoughts on the cross about his inner being are revealed in the Psalms. Two Psalms are on the screen. Psalm 22. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It's melted within me. Do you know the heart of Jesus for 33 years was so steadfast, so steady, so peaceful, so fixed. But on that cross, it was pouring out. It was like wax so unpredictable where it would go. It's melting away inside him. On the cross, he lost that peace in order to give you peace. Psalm 69, the metaphor is changed. Scorn has broken my heart. It's left me helpless, said Jesus. I looked for sympathy, there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. The heart of Jesus throughout his life, so united, so unbroken in harmony, in relationship with himself, with his mind and his soul, and with God as well. He experienced the utmost peace throughout his life because he was together and stable inside. On the cross, his heart was utterly broken, torn in two, with the fracture of the world. And Jesus Christ went through all that so that you could have his peace. He lost his peace that you might have peace. He did it all because Isaiah 53 says this, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. So on that cross, Jesus Christ was going through war in order that he might be the peacemaker between us and God, with ourselves, with others, and with everything around us. And you can have his peace by turning to him in repentance and faith and receiving that precious gift that he will give you my peace. I give to you. It's not as the world gives. I give my peace to you. For God doesn't want us to live with a torn apart life. He doesn't want us to live in inner turmoil. He doesn't want us to be inwardly falling apart. He wants us to give, he wants to give us that settled, calm spirit, that undivided heart, that togetherness of heart, mind, and spirit, our souls restored. But it all depends on you meditating and contemplating Jesus. For it's as we do that, 
that the fruit of the Spirit is produced within us. One occasion, Jesus gave a warning to people that would reject him. He said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. And that's what happens if you reject this peace with God. It'll be hidden from your eyes forever. But come to him. Give your life to him. Surrender to him. Receive him as your Lord and your Savior. And he himself will be your peace. He'll be your Sabbath. He'll be your rest. He'll be your salvation. And you can be a woman or a man who lives with peace in your life, inner peace, because you've made your peace with God through Jesus Christ. Consider him that you might have peace. Let's pray together. Lord, peace might seem for many the fictional pot at the end of the rainbow. It's just not there. But we've seen from your word that it can be there in our life through Jesus Christ, who has come to us to bring us peace. So we thank you that he lived as a man of peace, showing us how life can be lived. And we thank you that he was willing to go through the horror and the war of Calvary to lose his peace, that we might have peace. And then we thank you that when he came back from the grave, he'd gone through that war and won it. The victory was his. And he said, peace to his disciples. Thank you. Thank you that today, 2,000 years later, we can have peace with God, which gives us a peace that passes all understanding. Help us, Lord, to know that, and help us, we pray, to meditate and contemplate Jesus Christ, that the fruit of peace might be in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the things that we've been considering this morning. These are spiritual truths, and they make for our spiritual peace. Help us now, we pray, as we go out into a world of noise and anger and argument and war and breakups. Help us to go out there living as people of peace who are for peace because we follow Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.